You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Our show is the number one tech radio program in Canada. We've got uh, a great show for you today. We will uh, be chatting with the folks over at Amazon about the Amazon Snowball. This is like a super powerful computer that kind of can create its own cloud no matter where it is. It's like a piece of the cloud. It's a piece of the cloud. They're using it in Ukraine to help that government there do amazing things. It's used in search and rescue operations as well and many, many other industries. We're gonna find out what this thing is all about. It's actually super cool. We'll also be talking uh, with the folks at Zapbox, uh, kind of building in technology to help buildings, essentially. Air filtration systems. But and not like you think. No, it's it's uh, it's an interesting interview. And we are going to talk about chat GPT. You're probably starting to hear about this AI tool on all the major news outlets, the CNNs, the globals uh, of the world, BBC. It's an AI tool that can create content in multi-languages, whether that's programming in English and French. It can write you blog posts. It can write you taglines. It can write you songs. It's truly amazing. And we're gonna talk about some of the latest advancements on it. And you need to stay tuned for it because this is changing our world. And it's probably one of the fastest advancements in technology that either you or I have seen ever. Days and weeks, not months and years. Yeah. It's, it's like a freight train. I liken this to the uh, the beginning of the internet as we know it. Yeah, although that it was less obvious. Yeah. This is like... In our face. In your face, potentially going to change people's lives because it's going it's, to... It's a disruptor of epic proportions. It's going to change and probably remove jobs. Make sure your job's not one, <laughs> one of them. So stay tuned for that segment. Let's talk about some of the uh, the tech news here quickly, John. One of the big things uh, I want to highlight, and this has uh, been in some of the other news cycles, gift cards, the ongoing gift card scam. They're a huge seller at this time of year. It, it's easy. It's affordable. You get them as big as you want. But there's scammers everywhere. Uh, in British Columbia, the Better Business Bureau has warned of barcode sticker gift card scam. So explain that, John. So what happens is you go to the store, you pick up a, a gift card, you take it up to the, t the counter, and then they scan it and activate it. Yes. Problem is, what scammers are doing is they're taking their own barcode stickers, putting them on top of that big wall of gift cards. So when they go to the front counter, you're actually activating somebody else's gift card, not the one that you have in your hand. So Wow. How, how would you even know, John? You, well, if there's any stickers covering the UPC code on the barcode or on the uh, gift certificate itself, um, just make sure there's no stickers there. Extra stickers. Yeah, because they'll be literally right on top of the barcode that gets scanned yeah. at the till. An amazing scam. It, it's kind of brilliant, actually. Yeah. Because you don't have to be there and you don't know where this thing's being activated. They got to train the store staff on that too, don't you think? I hope they are, yeah. I hope too. Another uh, popular way, John, that I've seen is... Uh, idiots that uh, post, oh, hey, I just got this gift card, and they post a picture of them holding up the gift card and posting that on Facebook or Twitter. With the barcode fully visible. So what happens there is that uh, one of your friends or whoever has access to that picture basically takes a copy of that picture, and it's got the barcode on it. So if it's like a Walmart gift card, they can go to the self-checkout at Walmart, get some stuff, and just scan the picture. The picture of that barcode is good enough. Off the phone. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so one, uh, I think, Ontario man happened to him. Yeah. I think it was a $500 Walmart gift card. Yeah. He ended up with 97 cents. And just because we're kind of in travel season right now too, don't post your ticket anywhere. I heard someone posted their ticket for an overseas trip online. Someone who didn't like them called up the airline and canceled the ticket. Because they had all the information. Because it's all there. So make sure your thumb is covering up at least any kind of personal identifier information before you post that photo. So this person posted the ticket and then it got canceled on them. Like what recourse do they have then? Nothing. I don't know. I don't know. It'd be pretty awkward showing up at the airport for a flight that was canceled. Okay. We're going to have to go to break because our show is action packed today. When we come back, the new AI tool that is blowing up the world right now. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, kind of the same thing. It is blowing up right now, John. Uh, We talked a a little bit uh, about chat GPT on our sister show, The App Show, last week. And if you've been following the news, it is blowing up in all the major news publications as well, like the CNNs, the Globals, uh, CKNWs uh, of of the world. And John, I think a lot of people still don't really understand the significance of this development and how far and how fast we have come. Uh, ChatGPT is basically an AI engine that can do amazing things. Uh, You know, you sign up for it. Right now, it's kind of a free beta test, and it can generate I can't even fathom all the things that it can do. For example, it can write you a poem. I did one on air fryers and one on horses. It was actually really good. It can write you blogs. It can write you taglines. It can come up with a social media marketing plan for your business. And it's surprisingly not bad. The really interesting thing about ChatGPT is the fact that unlike Google, when you Google, say, a business plan for... A market like a marketing plan yes right or how to engage with your followers right on twitter at you're a small business you want to find ways to drive more sales you google how to do that you're gonna get a million results yeah a lot of it's gonna be crap and a lot of it's gonna be stuff you have to pay for those kinds of things with chat gpt you say what you're looking for and then it'll give you results no ads at least right now and then you can actually ask it more specifics about that initial result. So an example I came across was a woman who is a small business person. She wanted to find ways of driving more sales. And so she asked the chat engine, give me a business plan for this. And, and, and you know, tell me what I need to be doing. And it listed off of a bunch of, let's just call them fairly generic. High thing, level. High level. Things like get on social media, you know, do um, giveaways, like all the kinds of things you would think of as a business person right away. But then she just kept getting more specific about her type of business, specific about what she was looking for. And what blew me away is like the final reveal that she did in the video that I saw was that she said, okay, well, give me a seven day plan for how I can engage my audience on social media and put it in a chart and give me all the SEO optimized keywords that I need to be using. So search engines can find me. Yeah. And it literally instantly gave her a chart day by day of what she should be posting specific to her business. Like it's insane. 
I saw another example. Uh, someone uh, had watched a, uh, I think, an hour-long YouTube video. And basically, on YouTube, one of the features is you can go in and get the transcript yes. for it. And they took the transcript and they put it into the chat GPT and asked it, I want this summarized in 10 uh, bullet points. Yeah. So imagine you have a video of a, of a university lecture. Or audio that yeah. you've got a transcript for. Yeah. Anything you have a transcript for. And it can summarize it. And you can even be very specific about how the summary works. You can have it, typically it'll give you bullet points. It'll sort of go through and give you sort of the Coles notes of that transcript. But you can also say, give me specific sentences of that transcript so that it's not just sentence fragments, like just chunks of ideas. And again, you can be as specific as you can. And if you don't get the results you want the first pass, you can say, no, I want more specifics. And you can basically further refine that same uh, initial query without having to re-enter the whole thing again. I, I got it to do some taglines for one of our clients at our marketing agency, and they weren't hor horrible, John. There was actually stuff to that yeah. I could use or, or work on. One of my favorite examples that I found this past week was somebody wanted uh, the AI to write a song in the style of Drake. Oh my God, yes. About how he doesn't like beans and chili. So Drake, the famous Canadian rapper, hip hop yeah. guy. Yeah, so what it did is it actually wrote a song. About beans. <laughs> beans. Yeah. And then there's another AI tool called uberduck.com. You can go and you can take that, um, th those lyrics. Yeah, that the computer made. The computer made. That's supposed to sound like Drake. Right. And then uberduck is basically an AI tool for creating audio that sounds like a specific person. So you can actually train it on your own voice and then you can have it sing in your voice without you actually having to sing. Yeah. But this guy put it and he chose the Drake preset and then he put some beats behind it and it sounds like a Drake song. Like it's I, amazing. I know. I listened, I, I watched that video of, yeah. of him going through this process and it was pretty good. Like for less than five minutes of effort. Yeah. He had a Drake song about and beans. And basically these different AI engines created this thing from nothingness. Yeah. Is it, so we haven't even touched on the programming side of this chat GPT, right? You're like a, a big uh, 3D guy, yeah. 3D printer. You love printing out 3D uh, objects. And to do that, you need like the computer version version of those. You need a 3D model. Yes. And so one of the things that I was curious about, because chat GPT allows you to get it to program for you. You can give it your, you can copy and paste code that you've written into it in any language. And it will highlight it and correct it, fix any errors, that kind of thing. It's not 100% perfect, but it's really good. It's better than, it's it's as good or better than having a person there looking at your code. Better than me. <laughs> yeah. But in the 3D modeling world, there's a program called OpenSCAD. And it essentially is like JavaScript for creating 3D models. Yeah. And I, I wasn't sure if it even knew what it was. And I said, create me an OpenSCAD script to generate a 3D model of a snowflake that I can 3D print. And it just proceeded to write the whole thing. I copied and pasted that into OpenSCAD. How long would that have taken you? Would you even have known how to program that? Well, me, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it would have probably still would have taken me hours. Yeah, so hours. Yeah, and this was like seconds. Yes. 
I copied and pasted in. And whenever I'm writing an open scat, I get all kinds of error messages, like, because you have to sort of preview it to see if it's going to work. And it had no errors and it generated a, a, a 3D model. Like, it just blew my mind. But even things like people that work in Excel, this you know, popular spreadsheet program for creating macros, these are kind of like shortcuts yeah. you can use in Excel to make it faster for inputting data and stuff like that. It can just pump those out in seconds. You tell it what you want. And that's the key thing is we're having a conversation with the computer. We're not having to learn the syntax of the computer. The computer is like C3PO. It knows a million languages. It can read and write in any language. And when you think of languages, you think of like Spanish and French and stuff like that, but also think about programming languages. And that's what's blowing my mind. So this thing isn't even connected to the internet. It's not getting that information from the internet, is it? No, because we're using ChatGPT version 3.5 right now. And that was a model that was trained in 2021. So this thing's like, this is like a baby. It's a year old. Yeah. And the thing is, a million people are using this all the time. Yeah. And all those uses usages makes are, it better. Are training it even more so. There's already the next generation in private beta that I've heard makes this look like an Atari compared yeah. to like a PlayStation Five. <laughs> I'm I'm speechless right now because I I just can't fathom how quickly this has come, like and how good it is and. And we've seen with other AI tools, the ones that are like text to image, like every every couple of weeks they advance like exponentially in yeah. quality. Yeah. And can you imagine a year from now how this tool will be? I can't imagine two weeks from now no. how good this tool is going to be. But it's it's uh, is it scary to you? On the one hand, yeah, because this has the potential to dramatically change people's lives because do you think it'll make because it, it can take over jobs will it make us stupider no no because we still have to use the tool yeah and the tool is trained but by, i can i can have this thing write in like a 10 page essay yeah on the current state of u.s politics and it will yeah. it has the capability to do that but you don't know if it's wrong or not no, this is true. Because you had it write a, an, an essay about you. <laughs> yeah, and it was wrong. <laughs> but I know now why, because I'm obviously not in that data set. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, it but, it but thought it, I was a singer-songwriter. It also thought I was a popular film But it just TV made star. up stuff about you. Yeah. Which is a little scary, because if it doesn't know, it's making up stuff. Yeah. And, you know, instead of saying, I actually don't know, any, I don't have an answer for that. But it's interesting. It knew that my, my heritage is Danish. Right. So a lot of the times when it wrote up something about me, it said I was a famous Danish something. Yeah. So I don't know how it knew that. Yeah. Somewhere in a data set somewhere. Well, we were trying to figure out if there's ways to make it write uh, report card comments for my, my girlfriend's oh teacher. Oh my God, yeah. And, you know, so write a report card comment for a student that's struggling with math and it just nailed what the teachers would actually write. And then you can even get more specific. This person is struggling with fractions and it, goes on on and on about the problems that they're having specifically with fractions and using all the right terms. How much time would that save teachers? And is that a good thing that they have AI generating these comments? Well, again, you still need to edit it. Yeah. Right. And that's the same with all the stuff. You can't just take everything that it's generating at face value because there, there could be a lot of in, in, incorrect uh, things in there and a lot of inconsistencies. So you still need to edit this stuff. I'm also curious about people that are using this to write blog posts how those blog posts are going to get SEO tagged by Google because they're generated by AI. Is there going to, is it going to find patterns that we can't see 
Yeah, we'll Google punish right. yeah. AI posts. Yeah. And it might, right? Because might. They, they, they do, like, I'm looking at some of these things that it's generated. It, it does feel kind of, it's got the same. Yeah. But I guess, you know, as we've seen with AI art, um, you can actually have it right in, in a style, in a style, right in the style of Shakespeare. But if you're a student and you're trying to pass this off as your style, You'd, yeah. your teacher would know that it's not your voice. You're right. So you'd have to go in and, and, and edit it and rewrite parts of it. But how will teachers know? Can, John, this is a huge thing. Yeah. For, you know, reports and, and, and essays. Like, how will they know it's not the student? Yeah. They won't. Because it'd be very difficult. Unless there's a way that they can copy and paste that into chat. GPT to verify if it was created by ChatGPT. I know, but then there'll be another AI thing where students can put it in to make it yeah. not detectable. Yeah. Well, there's already that kind of stuff for the plagiarism in essays and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So, but I, I, I can't even fathom, like, honestly, John, in five years, you, you see how fast this has gone. This thing will be able to punch out like quality essays. Well, it's just going to automatically write the essays. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, so, well, like, how do, how, but who How are we, schools and, and educational institutions going to filter that out? I don't know. It's going to probably have an upheaval to the curriculum that is being taught. We're talking all about chat GPT. I uh, encourage you to test this out and see for yourself. It's free right now. I'm sure uh, they're looking for ways to, <laughs> to monetize this. So try it out uh, while you can. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're live with the program. Mike Eggerbo here with John Beeler. Uh, let's uh, talk about air quality and uh, filtration technology now. We've got an interesting guest on the line. His name is Elsa Ting. He is uh, with a company called Zapbox. Thanks for joining us today, uh, Elsa. Well, thanks for having me. I, I think a lot of us are concerned about air quality over the past couple of years, uh, just given the nature of the pandemic and uh, how, uh, you know, what we know uh, of how uh, COVID uh, has been spread and, you know, obviously many, many other uh, uh, viruses out there. Uh, what makes your company different, Elsa? Yeah, so really, we, we, we're a group of, you know, engineers, scientists and uh, uh, aerospace engineers. We, we look at most of the conventional air filtration system in the market uh, and we feel like there is room for improvement. And obviously motivated by the recent pandemic, um, we, we set out to, to find uh, something more energy efficient and more effective. Um, so instead of uh, typically you would try to capture all the um, particles in the air, uh, our approach is to simply make it healthier to, to breathe. Um, it's much more energy efficient that way. Um, and it's more reliable as well. And, and what does that mean? Like, how do other air filtration systems work then? Are they actually capturing all the pathogens, essentially, and wiping them out? Yeah, that's a very good question. So really, when we talk about air quality, uh, there are different aspects of, of uh, what's good air, what's healthy air to breathe. So one aspect is, is obviously the particulate in the air. So typically, we characterize that by, by a measurement called so-called PM2.5. Um, so most of um, most of the conventional filtration system relies on physically um, um, capturing uh, these particles. Um, there are some um, technologies that relies on uh, UV um, and sometimes other types of uh, uh, more electrochemical methods to 
uh, disinfect or, or deactivate. Um, and we, we looked at it and we feel that um, it's, it's impossible to capture all the particulates and to put things in perspective, um, space you would normally try to catch everything is, is a clean room. Uh, that's a space where you make semiconductor. Um, and it's very, very costly and it's very, very uh, energy intensive to, to try to achieve that level of, of um, purification. Um, and that's where it all started. We, we thought, hey, why, why do that? Why really, you know, uh, we, we're, we've evolved and adapted to, to live in the environment with some level of particulate. And all we want is to remove or disinfect um, um, bio aerosols that could be uh, uh, contagious and are bad for our health. So your technologies, um, is it cleansing it? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so really we had to, and, and I'll, be, I'll be honest, this is a, a science that, that's less explored in, in my opinion. Uh, we did a lot of research. Um, the way it works is instead of trying to capture everything, we only temporarily um, um, react. Uh, I have to be very careful with, with the wording here because on one hand, I think our, our IP engineer is going to be mad at me uh, because there are a lot of things that we're still working on it. Um, but essentially, we we allow the particulate to react with our. We have a technology and a material that can react with the particulate as it passes through um, our filtration system, and and in that process, without causing more uh, resistance in in the uh, airflow, we're able to uh, deactivate um, things that could be harmful to us. So um, I guess it's it's a new material we're developing. Um, that's effective in, in doing so uh, instead of the um, uh, imposing a physical barrier. And this uses like how much less energy? Um, this would typically, so it, um, it depends on, on the application. Um, so obviously, you know, in environment that are very highly sensitive, we can cut down as much as 50 to 80%. Um, because in those environments, you would typically use the so-called HEPA filter. And the downside to using HEPA filter is as your um, flow velocity increases, your uh, energy consumption also goes up pretty dramatically. Uh, I have to be also careful because we, we do want to be um, very scientific about this. So there are areas we feel, um, for instance, in, in a mall, um, you know, it's a very open space, a relatively open space than say an intensive um, care unit. Um, and in that case, we wouldn't apply the same, you know, if we were to compare, we wouldn't compare ourselves to HEPA filter because uh, in those environments, typically you don't use something as energy intensive as, as HEPA filter. Um, so in that case, our energy improvement will be, will be lower. But uh, I guess my question, like, you know, when you look at these air filtration systems, even like vacuums got HEPA filters built into it. They say they're removing like 99.9% of all the stuff um, in the air. Like how good is good enough? Is that what you're trying to accomplish? Yes, yes. So so um, to to start, I guess we, we take a very careful approach to, to start characterizing what's eliminating 99.9%. That's an excellent question. Um, so very often we see in the market, you know, things that would disinfect 99.9%, say, for example, E. coli. Uh, in fact, it's a very easy target to, to disinfect. Um, and we, 
we try to uh, first benchmark, okay, how effective we are at disinfecting the easiest thing, which one of the easiest things to disinfect is E. coli. Then we work our way up for things that are harmful to us, uh, but are very, very hard to capture. And, and we are going after 99.9% .9 of the really hard stuff to kill, um, not the easiest, 99, uh, something, 99% of the easy stuff to, to kill, if I may. So why haven't other companies or manufacturers gone down this road? Is it, it sounds like it might be a difficult road <laughs> to go down. It is, it is. And, and I'll be honest, you know, this is not uh, my, my only business. I've worked on several other industries. And to be honest, material science is, is very hard. Those deep tech or deep science is very hard. It takes a long time to develop. Um, for instance, even just to try to characterize this effectively, you need a wind tunnel that can um, allow you to, to experiment with bioaerosols. And there are very few facilities. It's very uh, capital intensive to, to do so. And, and I guess uh, before pandemic, we kind of take clean air or, or uh, air for, for granted that it's, it's okay. It's sort of like an analogy will be like water. You know, we, we used to be pretty comfortable drinking water of, of you know, all the sources, but now we, we, most people will have air filtrations at home Oh, sorry, water filtration at home, because we, we realize that um, there are things in water that we'd rather not put in our body. And same thing with air. In the past, I think that envelope just hasn't been pushed before, and there hasn't been really a demand for, um, for improvement in, in the technology. And I believe we're just in the beginning of, of first of all, to benchmark um, and to properly and scientifically approach uh, this healthy air. We're talking with Alset Ting. Uh, he's got an interesting company called Zapbox. They're developing filtration technologies uh, that basically uh, filter the air, but uh, at a much, much lower energy. Uh, how, how soon before you think we could see this technology in, in action, like in, in consumers or, or businesses' hands? Like, are we years away? Mm -hmm. So... Um I can only speak about uh, our company's progress. I know in the industry, there are other colleagues that are trying. Um, for us, we have already had a prototype that was experimented in, in the hospital. Um, so we know, and we, we, we have those data, we believe that you know, it's a very readily, um, we get something we can, we can commercialize in the near future, in a year or two. Um, and in parallel, we are hoping to uh, make it more scalable because um, right now we only have prototypes. And to make it more scalable, we need to understand how we can mass produce the material that we've been, we've been working on. Um, and obviously there are parameters we want to continue to work with. Um, and that's why we're collaborating with uh, National, National Research Council of Canada, um, as well as McMaster University. So there is obviously ongoing science we have to do. But if you talk about, we call it the Gen 1, um, I think we, we can, uh, probably see in the market as early as 2023. Well, Alset, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the, the program and telling us about uh, this, uh, this technology, and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. Uh, we've got a cool guest uh, with us right now. His name is Ramesh Kumar, and he, we're going to talk about snowballs and snow cones. <laughs> but... Uh, 
they're not literally snowballs and snow cones. Uh, this was something we're a little fascinated. Uh, you know, as we're exploring the conference here, uh, we came across these snowballs. They're essentially like little suitcases, a cloud in a suitcase. It's like a hardened computer yeah. uh, in a kind of interesting looking case. And it's pivotal in a lot of different applications, as we've seen and we'll talk more about with Ramesh. Uh, you know, for example, disaster uh, situations, they can bring these and, you know, coordinate the disaster response. Uh, they've you know, used these in Ukraine as well. Uh, thanks for joining us, Ramesh. Yeah, I'm happy to be here and talk to you about the Snow Family. The Snow Family. Why is, why is it a snowball? Yeah, good, good, good question. I think um, uh, you know, apart from being a fun name, um, this the Snowball Edge uh, is a suitcase-sized, secure, and rugged device that we ship to our customers. And essentially, it's a slice of AWS uh, that we ship to our customers for use in these rugged edge locations. Customers can capture data that's generated at those edge locations. Think about data from sensors, machines, cameras. Store that on that Snow device, and then they can run data analytics, image analytics. I mean, he talked about disaster recovery. Think about a, a drone surveying a disaster area and uh, bringing those images and video streams to Snowball Edge, which can quickly analyze it. And with those results, the first responders know which is the most affected area and they can go um, help the people in that uh, area that have been effect affected by a hurricane or an earthquake. It was interesting. Uh, we talked with some of the discovery, or sorry, the disaster uh, response folks, and it's just amazing all the components you can put together uh, with the, the snowball. So you got the snowball. You can set up like satellite service uh, with it. They've got these special little collars they can put on dogs and stuff that can be tracked across this, this whole thing. Um, so besides like disaster recovery, where else would we see these things? Um, yeah. So in, in, think about any location outside of a typical data center. So any unconditioned environments, uh, this could be a factory floor where you put a snowball edge or a snow cone next to uh, smart robots or industrial machines. It could be on an oil and gas platform, or you could use it in mobility, any place where there is uh, operation in motion. These snow devices are rugged and they can withstand shock and vibration. So you could operate um, a smaller device like Snow Cone, which is about a tissue box size device. So that's like a small snowball. Yeah, it's a small version of in that snow family of Snowball Edge, which is suitcase sized, about 50 pounds or so. And then Snow Cone is the tissue box size device uh, you can hold in one hand, it's less than five pounds. Um, you can operate them in an autonomous vehicle, in a disaster recovery truck, as you mentioned, uh, in a ship, which could be a Navy ship or a cruise line ship, or it could be uh, in commercial or military aircraft. Yeah, we talked with one of your folks and how they've actually you know, sent these to Ukraine for the government there to basically get all of their land titles, uh, you know, citizen registries, bank bank information as well, uh, and then you know, take that and be able to take that up into the cloud. So I just thought that was fascinating that they could do that. Yeah, you, uh, yeah you're right. I mean, on Snowball Edge, you can store up to 80 terabytes of data in a single uh, device. That's a lot of data. And you can operate these snow devices, both Snowball Edge and Snow Cone, in locations where you don't have any network connectivity. So that's a, uh, you know, if you need to go collect data, move it to a safe location, or think about when there is a ransomware attack for an enterprise and they want to disconnect their network and uh, really protect their critical data, um, the Snowball Edge device is very suitable for that use case. So these big companies or governments, uh, do they just buy one of these or is it like 
do they rent them? Like, how does that all work? Sure. So the, the snow devices are offered uh, as a service, just like any other AWS service. Customers come to the AWS management console and place an order for a snow device. And we ship it to the customer's uh, location, and it's uh, provided as a service. Um, they can use it for as long as they want. They can order as many devices as they want. And we just charge them on their monthly uh, AWS bill. Once they're done with their compute workloads or they've uh, copied a lot of data to the Snow device, they want to bring that data to AWS, they simply ship the Snow device back to us. Yeah, and you call UPS. Like there's a, like right. a little e-ink display on there that has the shipping label. Yes. And, that's uh, crazy. Uh, once the customers use it, the shipping label flips back to AWS. Yeah. So the customer doesn't even have to know where to ship it back. They just ask UPS to pick it, pick it up, and within a few days, all their data stored on the device shows up in their data lake in AWS. And how long have these things been around? Yeah, so we, we, we began the Snow family in about uh, 2016 with the initial devices. Um, the initial devices uh, had about 50 terabytes of storage, no compute. And since then, we've added a lot more capabilities uh, to the snow, uh, snow devices. We've increased the compute size to 80 terabytes, uh, so storage to 80 terabytes, put in a lot of compute. And so now customers can run uh, you know, their legacy applications as VMs. They can run container workloads. They can use the snow devices as an IoT hub. Think about... Uh, like collect- the Internet of Things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They can take in data from machines, warehouse robots, drones, process it. And then they can bring the data stored on the device or the results of their computation back to AWS. Um, and then we introduce Snowcone, which is a smaller, uh, smaller device. Um, so we select, we support us. Uh, customers can use a select set of AWS services that run on these Snow device, and they run locally on the Snow device. We're talking with Ramesh. Kumar uh, over at AWS, all about these uh, snowballs and snow cones, essentially kind of like computer storage devices, like a cloud that you could kind of set up anywhere. That are carry-on suitcase size. That are carry-on suitcase size. They're really amazing pieces of technology. I want to thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you very much. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Don't forget to listen to our sister programs called The App Show. It is on every Sunday across the Chorus Radio Network. It's all about the world of apps and mobile technology. We will be covering Pluto TV. It's a new streaming TV app from the Chorus and Global folks that has all your favorite old programs and live global news as well. And the best part, John, it's free. Free with not too bad ads. Not yet. Not yet. We'll tell you all about it, how to download it, how to use it, and uh, our initial thoughts. want to thank all the folks that helped put the show together, John and Robin and Nigel. We'll see you again next time.